The U.S. healthcare system is so complicated. It's like a 10,000 piece puzzle. Among the many things needed to improve it is to be intentional about inclusivity at all levels. The Hit Like a Girl podcast, H-I-T, like a girl podcast, works to listen and learn from women leaders within the industry who each hold a piece of that puzzle with the idea that if we connect more, we can change the bigger picture. New episodes are released weekly on Mondays and Thursdays, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Health Podcast Network, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more, visit hitlikeagirlpod.com. That's H-I-T, likeagirlpod.com. Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast. Although we may not know it, artificial intelligence, or AI, impacts many parts of our lives, from Alexa knowing what movies we might like, to map apps telling us the fastest route to work, to facial recognition that opens our phones. AI is also posed, poised to dramatically alter how healthcare is delivered in this country. In the coming years, AI will likely change the relationship we have with our health and how we think about the role of our physicians. Uh, but like every tool, AI may also bring about negative consequences if it is used by someone who doesn't know how to use it. That's why we're excited today to have Dr. Kimberly Lomas on our show, who is going to talk to us today about a call to action uh, that she is a part of, will provide current and future healthcare workers with appropriate training in AI. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT. This is a weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W-E-D-I. Weedy is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And as I said, we are excited to have Dr. Kimberly Lomas here. She is VP of Undergraduate Medical Education Innovation with the American Medical Association, AMA. Dr. Lomas guides the Accelerating Change in Medical Education Consortium of 32 plus medical schools, which impacts over 20,000 medical students across the United States. She previously served as Associate Dean for Undergraduate Medical Education and Professor of Surgery at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. Kim, welcome, and we're very glad to have you here on The Collective Voice. Well, thanks for having me, Matthew. I'm excited for this conversation. I'm, I'm excited, too, because it's about AI and the future and technology. So how did you get in this, in this topic area? Uh, how did you arrive at your current position? So um, my current position with the AMA is, is slightly different path. And I think we may dig into that a bit more as a separate topic. But um, for AI specifically, actually, it's, it's interesting how I got involved. And actually, my son is a uh, aerospace engineering student who uh, he's mortified that I'm considered uh, knowledgeable in AI, to be quite honest. <laughs> so really, my path has been uh, that I, I, in my curiosity of learning about different areas you know, as education leaders, we always have to think to the future. We can't teach to the skills that are needed today. We need to be teaching to the skills that our physicians and other healthcare providers will need in 10 years. 
So we're always kind of out there listening and watching trends and, and curious. And what I found was I had to learn more about AI to understand the impact it was going to have that it is already having, quite honestly. And so it really has been mostly a self-education process and then reaching out and asking a lot of questions of a lot of people who are usually very generous with their knowledge and time. And that was enough to make me understand that we really do need to take action in the medical education community to prepare our providers for the future. Very good. Um, and, and so then tell us a little bit about uh, your role with the AMA. Sure, sure. As you said, I was previously at Vanderbilt. And while I was there, the AMA launched this major initiative, Accelerating Change in Medical Education, which is really aimed at disrupting very traditional and somewhat um, anchored techniques and really thinking more about how do people learn best now and in the future. And so Vanderbilt was fortunate to be one of the original grant recipients of that initiative. And as I worked with the AMA through that process, was really fascinated by the opportunity to think across institutions uh, and not work just at one school or one program, but really be able to work with leaders of programs all across the country. So now our consortium does include the medical schools that you mentioned, but we also have a reimagining residency initiative bundled with it. And so we have people from the graduate medical education sphere or residency, as well as medical student education working together, which is so critical for some of these evolving areas like AI. Um, everybody needs the training. It's not just something you would anchor in, in medical school. Good, good. I like that. And, and actually, I think you, you may have just clarified one of my questions. When it says you're in charge of the undergraduate medical education, that's not uh, the first four years. It sounds like it's that. Yeah. May, can, you, can you point yeah, out where so that happens? It's a confusing title, people, because people think of undergrads as college students. Um, right. in, in this context, it is the first four years traditionally of medical school. So undergraduate medical education is considered medical school. And then graduate medical education is when you go on into your residency training. Uh, and so my personal area of expertise is certainly at that student level, although my colleague and I, um, John Andrews, who runs the GME facing component of our programming, both work with these big ideas across the entire continuum, including practicing physicians. Right, right. So it does make sense that you would you would uh, introduce students, medical students, in those first four years before they're thrown out into the field, and uh, you actually have to interact with the AI uh, uh, right right off the bat. So um, again, since we're defining things, define for us what is meant by AI. What, what's the difference between AI and your usual laptop computer? Sure, and this is where, as I have confessed, um, my expertise is not as deep as probably many of your listeners. Uh, but what I have come to understand that I think is really critical for us to appreciate is, you know, how is this different from other technologies? Medicine has been fortunate to benefit from all kinds of technological advances. Um, and obviously this machine learning concept is interesting and has various levels of independence. And I think that's the piece that strikes me as quite different. So it, I, from what I understand is less the individual human program a computer to go through specific steps, but rather exposing algorithms to large data sets in which the algorithm itself defines the patterns and discovers the way to uh, potentially approach a problem. So there's a bit of a black box feature that is difficult for physicians to understand and can be a little bit intimidating. And then when you layer on top of it that 
certainly some programs, algorithms, once they're built, they get locked and they continue to operate based on what has been already seen and determined. But the other real mystification for physicians is this notion of those that do continuous learning uh, and are not locked and that, that can continue to change the more data they get exposed to, they may change the algorithm, may change its approach to a program. Um, so as a practicing surgeon in the past, the way I've come to think about it is that I used a lot of different technological tools in the operating room. And it's almost as if I would have an instrument in my hand and it could change shape right in the middle of an operation. And so I think that's the piece that for, um, for many physicians is a bit intimidating about all this is how do we, how do we take responsibility and interface with something that is itself changing just like a, a one of our colleagues would. So that's interesting. And maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little here. But um, as, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, maybe I've used the wrong terminology. This isn't just another tool where you tell something what to do. You tell the hammer what to do. You tell the computer what to do. And it does it, right? It sounds like it's a whole different relationship uh, that a provider may have with AI. And, and like you said, you use the terminology of this is a colleague. This is somebody that you can tell to go look at something and it goes off on its own and comes back a little later with something you might not have expected. Yeah. And so what my colleagues who are experts in this area help me try to understand is that the, the algorithm doesn't necessarily give you an answer. It gives you probabilities of multiple answers. And, and so a lot of this is for physicians to really need to understand what is the output from this algorithm and then how do I interface with it to optimize the outcome for the patient so that you have the benefit of the algorithm scanning so much more information than the physician themselves could, yet you have the human judgment piece to layer on top of that in the context of an individual patient or a community when you, you understand their broader needs. So I do think it is there is more of a relationship kind of feel uh, and this notion of complementary skill sets that is slightly different from some of the other technologies that we use. Interesting. And, and so can you give us uh, uh, an example of how AI is used already in healthcare today? It sounds like you're already talking about like various diagnoses, but maybe there's something else. There's certainly in, in medicine and specifically there is clinical decision support, which helps you come up with a diagnosis. And one of the interesting things about the emergence of AI is that it reflects to us some of our human limitations. Um, so there is an overwhelming amount of data about individual patients. It continues to increase. There's an overwhelming amount of scientific knowledge out there. And so the old model of medical education that I referred to earlier that we're trying to break away from, there was sort of this premise that there's a foundational knowledge set that you could possess. And that really would be the basis for most of your work. Obviously, there's always been an, an acceptance of the need for ongoing learning and education throughout one's career, but it really was this thought that those first couple years in the classroom was a lot of that content. And of course, that content has exploded and it's constantly changing as we learn so much in the scientific community. And so when you look at the, the bits of information available that could inform a doctor's understanding of a given patient's current status and what their diagnosis might be, it is starting to exceed human capacity to analyze. And that's where this notion of having an algorithm to assist us could help. And, you know, we, we have evidence, unfortunately, that 
there is a fair amount of diagnostic error in our system. And one of the things that's important for us to accept as physicians is to look at where our system is not functioning at its best. And could these tools help us do that job better? And, and so, as I said, it kind of reflects against our current state. So if we know we have human diagnostic error, how can we leverage this tool um, yet moderate its potential for error, uh, but you put the two together and hopefully uh, have the best outcome for the patient. Good. And what we're talking about now is the, the relationship between, you know, a human being, a professional and, and a, a, a computer, AI. Um, but it also sounds like you're saying that the role of the, the provider has to be rethought or how people think or how a, a physician thinks about themselves um, in terms of what they're, what they're bringing to the table. Yeah, and this is a really important piece, Matthew, because, um, you know, at the AMA, we're, we feel very strongly about using the term augmented intelligence to talk about that relationship that I just described. And I think some folks, in, in, as they don't, if they don't learn about AI and exactly what it is, there is this sense of threat that the computers are coming to take over our jobs, you know, the, the dystopian movie where the robots are overthrowing the humans and and we're all displaced. Um, and, and we have to be cautious about developments over many, many years. But, but in the immediate future, I think it's more this notion of how do we use the tool uh, in a new capacity. And so the physician becomes less of that historical figure who possessed themselves deep, deep knowledge uh, and more the person who knows how to ask the right questions of the system and interface with the information that's coming out of it. Uh, and you think about it, you know, my father was a primary care physician in rural Pennsylvania, uh, well before the internet, right? And so he was, he really did have to have the knowledge in his head. He had some textbooks from medical school on his shelf. And of course, he had journals that would come in the mail, you know, once a month. But for the most part, he operated every day out of his head. Uh, and I think we have to acknowledge the difference now. We're so fortunate to have on our phones right at our fingertips, a lot of the factual things that he had to remember. And so does that allow us to free our brains to use our brains in different ways and not have to store the factual pieces, but really uh, think about asking the right questions, finding the right answers, using that information critically and applying it to the individual needs of the patient in front of you. So it is a different, a different role. Very interesting. Um, so you talked a little bit about the perceived risk, right? The risk that this is going to be a, a robot that goes out of control, open the pod doors, right? Like Hod, Al, um, what are what are some maybe what are some real risks that might be involved with um, introdu- introducing AI broadly? Well, I think you know so there is concern about potential pitfalls in using AI tools, um, basically because those tools are trained on data sets. If the underlying data is erroneous or somehow incomplete, then the conclusions drawn by the algorithm can be uh, incorrect. Uh, and we don't we know for sure we have those problems in our databases. So there are errors in our electronic health records. We have a history of research work that is done on only certain populations and not inclusive of other populations. There is existing um, bias embedded throughout our entire system, the way we document things and and what we document about different groups of people. And so there is some fear here that 
there are pitfalls in AI. What my myself and my fellow colleagues from other health professions who put forth this, this article for the National Academy uh, are trying to say is that those pitfalls actually make the case even stronger that we have to educate our physicians. Right? The only way to avoid them is to learn about this and to take some um, ownership in making sure that those things don't happen or that we mitigate those risks as much as possible. Well, and that's interesting because uh, reading your article and, and some of the, um, the articles that talk about this this move to have more education of healthcare, it occurred to me that you know our personal AI, our personal interactions with AI, especially with the interoperability moves, that's going to become another, the next big thing too. Is me asking Alexa, um, uh, telling Alexa my symptoms and expecting something back from Alexa. Right. So I think what you said is very important is it's coming uh, and it's good to get um, the healthcare professionals ahead of the game. Right. And know that it's coming and know how to work with it. Yeah, because I think there's still, um, you know, important role for the physician to help you understand what Alexa says. Uh, So we may shift to a, a role in interpreting or translating what these algorithms are suggesting into the context of the needs of the individual patient. And there clearly will be some roles that currently physicians execute that could be replaced. But that relationship piece uh, and the need for a physician with that oversight and judgment isn't going to go away. The the nature of individual jobs may change, and that's been true throughout history. Uh, You know, in my experience, even as a in general surgery, as a resident, I was trained to do a lot of a certain type of operation to help Uh, treat ulcer disease, and the arrival of new medications instantaneously wiped out that entire sector of surgery. So we've we've had to deal with this in medicine before, and there are some actual jobs that might be tremendously reshaped. Um, But I do think thinking about the physician's role in helping interpret or correct, you know, the way an algorithm might interface directly with patients is going to be incredibly important moving forward. And it sounds like another important aspect is it has to be the human professional that asks the question, right? And the question has to be right to avoid inherent bias and other things that you've talked about. It's all about asking the question. Yeah, which gets to one of the other major barriers in trying to introduce this training into medical education is it's already full. Uh, So one of the first things you hear if you try to bring up any new topic is how can we do this? The students are already you know, the curriculum is jam-packed, they're already working so hard. And what we need to understand with AI is that there may be some things that we can remove from the curriculum. Uh, And again, instead of concentrating on trying to cover everything in terms of the foundational sciences and foundational knowledge, recognizing that that's increasingly impossible, we shift gears towards teaching the learners how they will continue to learn throughout their careers. And so that's where bringing in the, the notion of AI really calls for exactly what you said, learning to better unpack the question first and then make the right type of query uh, in order to, to move the care forward. And so we may have some things that we remove because physicians don't need to uh, either memorize those things or execute some of those tasks anymore in order to create space for this kind of learning. Right. Fascinating. So talk to us a little bit about your initiative, about the call to action here that you're talking about. Sure. So this is actually a group that is um, sort of sponsored by the National Academies. 
And it is an interprofessional group that looks at health professions education across a very broad swath. So medicine and nursing, but also physicians, assistants, dentistry, uh, many, many different fields, social work, et cetera. It's a fascinating group to be in as a leader. These are people at the top of their um, respective professions as educators and really thinking about their students' needs in the long run and their professional practicing providers' needs. And so we learn so much from each other every time we're in a conversation. Uh, Everyone has their blinders and we tend to think of the world within our immediate scope. Uh, So it was a real pleasure to work with this group to think about how AI is touching some of their areas, some great examples arising from uh, amplifying access to mental health care, which is so so desperately needed, particularly throughout the pandemic. Uh, you know, we don't have enough providers. And so learning about AI tools that are really effective uh, to provide some screening and contact for folks in that regard is, is interesting. But even, essentially, this was a group of, across all of us who uh, that we meet, meet regularly. And within this group, there's a small set of us who really feel like we're behind the the, the need right now that the many folks think of AI as a, a futuristic thing. And so many educators, because it's difficult to put into the curriculum, because we don't have as much expertise as we'd like, tend to think it's something we can put off. And so this paper was really meant to outline and create that sense of urgency for our colleagues to help point out that it's not the future, it's now. And certainly by the time our current students are graduating and entering their practices, it will be even even more pervasive. So we spend a little time just outlining, as as we've discussed, kind of what AI is and how it's different, tackling head on some of the resistance to trying to insert it into a curriculum, and then trying to make some recommendations, meaningful recommendations for what programs can do to start to make progress to move forward. And what are some of those? Because when I think about, again, developing a new curriculum of anything, you're probably not going to dive into how to interact with specific AI, but but more of what we're talking about here, how to think about it almost philosophically and from a relationship standpoint. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the, the type of education depends on where someone is in their continuum. So you're right, as a, as a for, I'll come back to my field of medicine, for medical students, they need that just big concept that we've just discussed of or what, what are the um, physician's responsibilities? How does this work? How, what are our new roles that we'll be undertaking in, in light of this? As you advance into graduate medical education or residency, the way AI is used is very different across different fields. Obviously, it's, it's most embedded already in imaging-based fields such as uh, radiology and pathology, but it touches everything, including family practice. Uh, and so it starts to get a little bit more specific as you branch out deeper into your learning. Uh, but some of the actionable steps that we had are really, first, the educator needs to educate themselves just enough as I did to understand that we need to get on this. And you, don't, you don't have to be an expert, uh, but just understanding why it's different and how imperative it is that we start to move forward. A really important step is to build relationships with those who do have more expertise. And this is easier for our schools that are affiliated with major universities and they can walk across a, a plaza and, and encounter someone in computer sciences or, or others that have expertise. Uh, ethicists, ethicists will be incredibly important as we look at the 
potential risk for bias and, and these relational things that we've talked about and issues of accountability. Uh, so a university campus will have a lot of those folks around. So those, those educators can be assembling an advisory group that helps to think about how does this apply in the medical education curriculum. A little harder for our colleagues that are not in those kinds of institutions, and that's where the AMA has an interest in trying to create resources that would be more available across the board for, for those who don't have that right on hand. Uh, but looking at then, as you're learning from your advisory group, what implications does it have for the current curriculum? Because one of the things that we pose in the paper is that it doesn't really require inserting a brand new course, that really these concepts relate to many things we're already teaching. And it's just a matter of thinking about how that fits in with the current curriculum and can you weave it through uh, and that may be a more effective strategy to move forward. Very interesting. Um, so uh, you talked about your paper. Uh, where can we find this paper? Or do you have any other resources you can direct the listeners to? Yeah, so the paper is, is a resource under the National Academy of Medicine. And the title is Artificial Intelligence for Health Professions Educators. Uh, so that's pretty easy to, to pull up online. And it's, it's freely available to the public uh, as a supported work from the Academy. Um, I've mentioned the American Medical Association. This has been an area of interest to provide uh, information to those practicing physicians who are trying to understand this, who are often being asked to evaluate tools for their hospitals or practices. So the, the American Medical Association has a page dedicated to artificial and augmented intelligence that has a lot of different resources there. Um, so those are some great places to start. Excellent. Excellent. So we've been talking with Kimberly Lois, uh, VP, Undergraduate Medical Education Innovation at the AMA. Uh, Kim, I'll leave you with the final word. Uh, anything else you'd like to say about the, this call to action? Yeah, I think the final word is a, um, the impermanence of these ideas. So we are clearly just learning. Those of us who are authors on this group all, you know, very much confess that we aren't experts in this area. And so as we continue to learn together collectively as an educator community, we'll be able to better identify the specific objectives learners need at, at different levels. Um, but I personally think that there's tremendous potential for AI to improve not only the delivery of healthcare, but the way we educate our health professionals. There's some really exciting ideas around that as well. And so again, it comes down to this notion of we need to learn as much as we can to optimize uh, the potential of AI and mitigate its perils. So. Terrific. Thank you, Kim. This is a very interesting uh, issue, very interesting topic. And listeners, go uh, find that call to action paper. Uh, interesting things brought up. Thank you. This has been a good discussion with uh, Kimberly Lomas, VP, Undergraduate Medical Education Innovation at the AMA. And this has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.